If we have not met, my name is uh, Chris. I'm one of the staff members here at Godspeak. I do graphic design and I work with the youth, so it's a pleasure to meet you. Uh, this uh, evening, we're going to be doing uh, a quick study, hopefully, through Galatians. So if you don't have a Bible, if you could raise your hand, we'll, we'll bring you a Bible, and you do need a Bible. Um, if you don't own a Bible, you are welcome to keep the Bible that you received tonight. Or we have some lovely Bibles in the Lost and Found, and you can grab those, uh, especially if your name is on it. That is, is preferable. But if you will open with me to Galatians chapter 5, we're going to be looking at the first six verses tonight. And so it says this, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. And you have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. And for we, through the scripture, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor, circumc- neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you are a personal God, a God that uh, reveals himself to us, that we don't have to um, seek you, but you gladly show your face to us, God, that, that you seek us out. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're here, that you're present, and that you're working, that we don't have to earn your approval, that we don't have to welcome you in, but you welcome us here into your house. And so God, would you bless our time in this study. Lord, open our hearts to what you would have to show us. Lord, anything that is of me, I pray, would be forgotten tonight, Lord. And I pray that by the power of your Spirit, mighty truths would be spoken to all of us here in this room. Lord, we praise you, and it's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're looking at the book of Galatians, and it's always helpful when you're studying a book of the Bible to get some background, to get some context. So we see in Acts 13 and 14 that Galatian, the Galatian church was established on one of Paul and Barnabas's missions there, and that in Acts 16, Paul returns to visit the church again with Silas. Now, the church started quite well. Paul established them in foundations of faith, which we'll be looking at tonight, that, that they were saved through faith alone in Jesus Christ. But unfortunately, after Paul left, things took a bit of a turn. See, scholars believe that, that many uh, Jewish Christian missionaries had entered the church after Paul left, and as we see in the text, began preaching a different gospel. They, they began preaching the Mosaic law, and here specifically we see circumcision, and so, in, in, in addition to that, to aid in their efforts, they kind of demote Paul as an apostle. They say, no, that, that Paul guy, he was lying to you. That Paul guy doesn't know what he's talking about. See, you need circumcision to be saved. That's how it's always worked with God's people. And so you need this. And so they began teaching that false gospel to the church. And so Paul writes Galatians then to combat what these legalistic Judeo-Christians were preaching as they entered into the church. And so Paul's never shy in his letters. You guys notice that? If you've ever read a, a letter from Paul, he's never shy about what he needs to talk to the church about. 
He's very upfront with it. And so in chapter one, we see, we see Paul tell us this in verse six. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And I read this and I can't help but notice Paul's words that as he views the Galatian church, it says he marvels. He marvels at this church's ability to turn to this false gospel that's being preached to them. He marvels that they could be so rooted in Christ when he was there, and when he leaves, they are so open to whatever the next teacher has to show them. And see, for us, it's it's mostly easy, especially if you've spent much time in the church, for us to point out false gospels around us. We spent a good four weeks looking at four of the major false gospels that our society and culture likes to follow. And so, so we look at those religions and we marvel. We say, how can you take my Jesus and add or subtract or change the work that he did on the cross for me? We look at these religions and we can't believe the things that they pervert from our gospel, right? We marvel at what these other religions teach. But if we're truly honest with ourselves, can we be honest with ourselves? If we're truly honest with ourselves, on at least a micro level, at some point in our lives, for me it's probably a lot more than just one time, but at some point in our lives, we're swayed by what we can probably call false gospels. They may not be as extreme as as some of the ones that we've seen this past month, but, but, but we take the cross and what Jesus has done for us, and we start to change it. We start to add it, and we pervert the cross of Christ. See, for me, for me, my, my false gospel that I find myself falling into is that when things start to go wrong, when my life just doesn't seem like it's working out, and when situations just get bad, my first thought, every time without fail, my first thought is I must have done something wrong, and so I need to fix this. And I start throwing out solutions of things that I need to do. And so, while yes, there are probably countless number of times where it was my fault, it was my flesh that got in the way, my issue lies in the heart of my solution. See, my thinking that the same person who brought the problem could fix the problem is just as messed up as the problem itself. And so I marvel. I marvel at my own ability to pervert the cross. My ability to be established in Christ, who has begun a good work in me, and is going to be faithful to finish it, to be established in that, and yet so readily, so readily turn to a gospel that hinges upon my ability to do anything good. And in one small fault of thinking, that seems like such a small difference in my thinking, I've, I've completely rejected the work of Christ on the cross and in my life. And so it may not always be the outrageous ideas that get us, but we need to combat the little ideas that oftentimes make sense to us. The little ideas that we bring into the church that seem sensible. Okay, that, I guess that, that kind of works if you, if you look at this verse this way, or if you add these verses together, and we start, we start changing the gospel. And so that's not much different from what we see happening in the Galatian church here. In chapter 6, Paul will write, As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised. 
only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. And so these Jewish Christians enter into the church, and they push for the Galatians to be circumcised, to follow the Mosaic law. And see, we, we may not have a, an immediate connection with that, because that's not part of the church, but, but we can put it in terms of something that, that we can relate to, like baptism. That would be like if I came up here, or Pastor Zach, or Mark, or Pastor Rob came up here and preached, you need to be baptized to be saved. Now, baptism is a good thing. Baptism is a part of the life of the believer, just as circumcision was a part of the Jewish culture for the people of God. And so those practices in and of themselves are good under the right context. See, the danger enters when we, when we have a shared mindset between those things of, of not looking at it as a response to something God has done for us, and rather, what can I do for God for my salvation, Right? That, that what can I do to earn some sort of approval in God's mind? What can I do to add to his work, to maybe make it a little better? And so that's what it would be like for us. If we were to preach baptism saves, no, Jesus saves, baptism's a response to that. And so that's hopefully helpful in us viewing what the Galatian church is struggling with. Charles Spurgeon says this, he says, the outward, whether decorated or unadorned, whether fixed or free, touch is not the saving point. The only thing which can save us is faith in Jesus Christ, whom God has set forth as a propitiation for our sin. And that's Paul's exact argument in his letter. We see that in verse 6. He says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. See, these don't touch on the saving point. Paul's saying, Circumcision or not, it's not going to help you in your salvation. That comes from Christ alone. And so Paul pushes that point very firmly. And so Paul's desire is to return the Galatians to their root of a faith-based salvation. Think, stop thinking that you can do anything to earn approval unto God and start remembering that he's already done it for you on the cross. And it may seem an obvious point to us. We go, well, yeah, of course, it's a faith-based salvation. That's Christianity. But see, at least for me, it's, it's usually the obvious points, those foundational points that I, that I think are so solid in my life that I just kind of let sit on their own, don't remind myself of them, and they slowly start to sway. And, and my thinking starts to change on them over time. And they take a back seat in my service and worship unto the Lord. And so in our time tonight, I want to camp out a little bit on verse 6. And that says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. And so step one for Paul and for us in looking at foundations of faith is establishing in our world that nothing apart from a true and genuine faith in Jesus saves the soul. And I may sound like I'm repeating myself, and that's a good thing, because I want this to stick with us. Because we can, we can say these words over and over, but they may not mean anything to us. And so I want us to continually be reminded of that. Paul writes a letter to the Romans that uh, expounds a bit upon these ideas. And so a, a passage from Romans 10 says this. For Moses, 
writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is, to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The world is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so here we see Paul do something that's really helpful for us. He's comparing righteousness from the law and righteousness from faith. He's comparing how how, how the old way of thinking was, I need to follow the law, I need to be good in God's eyes, from the new covenant with Jesus, of Jesus is good, Jesus saves, his blood covers your unrighteousness, and he now deems you righteous in the eyes of the Father. And there are definitely, definitely areas in my life that I unconsciously see leaning towards unrighteousness through the law. And it's oftentimes with the things that I don't struggle with, the sins that I don't have any problem with, that that I can go day in and day out and never think about whatever. For you, it may be cursing, right? Some of you may have have trouble with with your words. Some of you may not. And so if that's not your issue... Then, then you tend to get into the thinking of, oh, I'm doing pretty good in that, right? Hey, I haven't sinned in that area in, in quite a while. I must be doing really, really good. And so we lean towards righteousness from the law. And so this is, this is huge, guys. Because we, we begin to fall in very small instances into a works-based salvation. And that may not seem like a big problem at the beginning, but this passage shows us very, something very important. That if we're to consider any area in our lives righteous as earned through the law, then we must continue that standard for all areas of our lives. Right? If we're to justify ourselves in certain areas with the law, then scripture deems that so the law must be carried out in all areas of our lives. And I know for me that is definitely not true. Right? Because I may not struggle with sin A, but man, sin B has just been really hard for me this week. And so I, so I asked the Lord to help me with this, and he's faithful. But then the one that's really easy for me, that's, oh, hey, Chris is doing pretty good today. I'm, I'm really proud of myself for not struggling with that sin. And so we need to be careful of that. In our, in, in our passage from Galatians 5, verse 3 says this, And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to, the whole, to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. That's what we've been talking about, right? That, that you've been estranged from the work of Christ because you, for some reason, in context of the Galatians, believe circumcision is what's going to save you. That there's something that you can do to earn God's approval so that you can go to heaven. And Paul says, if that's your way of thinking, then the law's got to cover your whole life. And you're all going to fall short. And none of you are going to make it into God's approval. And yet it's so easy for us 
And Jesus makes it so easy for us. Romans 10, 9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And Jesus makes it so easy for us, but we're so quick to throw that to the side. That we come to Jesus, thankful for his work that he's done, and all of a sudden it becomes, what can I do for God? What can I do for people? How can I make myself feel good by doing good things? How can I earn approval from God and from people? Now, understandably, understandably, in teaching faith-based salvation, Paul didn't want to discourage the church from serving Jesus, right? That's not something that we want to do. See, because it's really easy for us to course correct too far, right? That, that, that we look at, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm perverting the gospel. And so I need to just be 100% faith-focused. I don't need to worry about my service to the church because I'm prideful in this ministry. I'm prideful in that ministry, right? We love, we love to serve in the church. And for a lot of us, it's only when people are watching, right? When I started serving here, it was like three, three four years ago. I was just volunteering. Like there's, there's no... There was nothing in it for me. There was no money in it for me. There was, there was no job in it for me. I was just serving. But for some reason, any time it was time for me to clean the sanctuary, I would take the trashes out of the trash can, but I wouldn't walk them to the dumpster yet. I'd put them to the side. I'd put them right by the door, really conveniently by the door. And I'd do everything else. I'd sweep. I'd clean the bathrooms. I'd refill the paper towels, whatever needed to get done in here. But as soon as I saw a pastor walking from the offices to another suite, all of a sudden it was time for me to take the trashes out. And so I'd run to the trashes and, oh my gosh, hey, Pastor Brett, how you doing? Just cleaning today, just serving the church, man. Just loving it, right? And, and I perverted service for myself. And so we don't want to ruin service in the Christians' lives because that's so important to walking with Jesus. But we need to keep distinction in that justification comes through faith alone. Amen? But understandably, Paul doesn't want to discourage this. Now, before you clock out, I don't want you to think that this is going to be a sermon on, on getting you to serve. I'm not going to ask you to do anything specific tonight. I'm not going to guilt you. I'm not going to make you feel bad. I don't know how you guys serve the body. I don't know. And I don't really care. That's between you and the Lord. That's between you and the Lord right now. We're talking about faith. So I don't want you to think that I'm going to call you to serve and I'm going to guilt you. Because if, if your driving force, your driving motivation for serving is because somebody up here at the pulpit, one of the pastors tells you to, then we've missed the point already, right? Our service isn't unto the pastors. Our servant is, isn't unto the authorities. It's unto God, right? And so don't think that that's what we're going to be talking about. And so while I don't want to remove our call to obedience and service, I do want us to be released from the obligation of it a feeling, I haven't been messing up so much lately. I need to earn back God's love this week. I need to do so well so that God won't be mad with me this week. I need to do so many good things to make up for all the bad things. And that's such a messy environment to live in. It's so messy, guys. We need to remember that, that those things aren't the saving point, but they should definitely be an outflow from it. Right? Because James tells us that a faith without works is dead. 
And see, it's so, it's so common to hear, hear a sermon or a teaching of, of faith and works, right? That's so commonly put together because that's a, that's a big question for us as Christians, right? But it, but it oftentimes for me when I hear those messages, it blurs my line of where does faith end and where does works begin? Because I know I don't need to earn my salvation, but I know that I should be serving the church. And so the difficulty for us then is the question, where does my life fit in with faith and with works, right? We often ask ourselves, where does my life fit in with faith and works? It's such a gnarly balance. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this to you. I think in a lot of ways, that's the wrong question that we ask. I think in a lot of ways, that's the wrong question for us to be asking. See, using Paul's words, the question shouldn't be, how does my faith tie in with works? That's not Paul's question. See, I want to shift our perspective to ask ourselves the question, how does my faith work together with love? Because that's how Paul ends that passage. He says, faith working together with love. And so that's what I want us to be asking ourselves. And so to break down that question, to break down that question, there's two statements that should be true in the life of the believer. Number one, I have faith in Jesus Christ. That should be true for us, right? If you are a believer in Jesus, you should be able to say, I have faith in Jesus Christ, right? And statement number two, I have a love for Jesus Christ, right? We have a faith in Jesus and we have a love for him. And so while it may be uncommon to find a Christian who does not know these things, it is probably more common than we realize that there are Christians who do not at all times believe these things. And what I mean by that is there is a difference between knowing something and there's a difference between believing something, right? I can know something with my mind. I can have a factual knowledge of what should be. I can know that I'm supposed to have a faith in Jesus and I can know that I'm supposed to love him. And I can tell you that all day long. But see, if I don't believe that in my heart, if I don't make that a truth, if that's not my motivation, then it has no place in my life. It's not going to compel me to do anything. And so we can know that we have a faith in Jesus and a love for him. But until we start actively making these things truths in our lives, we fail to see the full glory of Jesus. And it's, it's really important that we, we don't separate those two statements from one another. That we don't separate our faith from Jesus and our love from Jesus. See, think about it this way, because faith and love can't exist without the other. At the moment of salvation, if, if you guys remember, if you have a point of, of specific salvation, when you said, yes, Jesus, I desire you, I want you. For me, that's, that's not me. I grew up in the church. But for, for some of you, for, for those of you who have that distinct moment of, yes, Jesus, I want you, can you not also say that in that moment you grew a deep, deep love for him at the same time in response to the love that he had shown you, Right? That yes, Jesus, I have a faith in you. And so you grow in love for Jesus. And alternatively, does it not, it boggles my mind, but does it not boggle your mind to think that there could be someone who says, yes, I have a, a genuine love for Jesus. And yet they have no confidence in him. That you could utter that sentence that I love Jesus, I truly love Jesus, but I don't really have faith in, in what he's doing in our life, right? Right? 
Because that may, that may be a true statement for people around you, but if we're truly to view Jesus as our Lord and Savior, those two have to be true at all times. See, I, I so often find myself at times trying to have a faith in Jesus without having feelings of love for him. And I didn't even realize that until I wrote the sermon. And, and alternatively, there's times where I push myself to declare my love for him, where I force myself to worship, and I don't have any faith in what he's doing in my life. And it blows my mind that I try to make those two facts coincide with one another. When biblically, that's just not how it works. That's not how God made it. And see, I came to realize that, that these moments of me not allowing both of those things to be true at the same time didn't come when, when circumstantially my life was good. When my life's good, my faith and my love for Jesus are great, right? I rejoice in thankfulness. Yes, Lord, you are so good to me. Thank you for, for these blessings that you've given me in my life, right? But when, when they don't want to sit well together is when circumstantially things get tough. Could we, could we be open with each other? That's, it's church. I know it's kind of weird for us to be open with one another, but, but hopefully we can be open with one another in church. See, see let's be honest with each other. Guys, there's hurting happening in the body. There's brokenness happening in the body. There's divorces happening in the body. There's death happening in the church, right? There's true struggles and true pains happening in the church. I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've been a part of it. And we, for some reason, made the church the one place where we can't show vulnerability to those things. When you're struggling with work, when you're struggling with school, you come to church and all of a sudden you have a case of finitis. Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Things are great for me, man. Yeah, Lord's good. Amen. Thanks, man. And then that's it. That's it. But you failed to share with them that you just lost your job, that you're really struggling in those classes, that you got three F's and a D and you don't see any goodness in sight, Right? But we come to church and we wear that mask. We have to look our Sunday best, right? And so our outward appearance matches our inward appearance. I got to look good for these people, right? And that's where it so often happens. And that, that's crazy. And to help us see how crazy that is, another quote from Spurgeon on faith says this. Faith brings us into contact with the healing foundation. And so our natural disease is removed. It appropriates on our behalf the result of the Redeemer's service and sacrifice. And so we become accepted in him. But anything short of this must fail. I want you guys to really think about that. Anything short of this must fail. It is the tearing of the garment while the heart is unbroken. The washing of the outside of the cup and the platter while the inner part is very filthy. And so we wash our outsides. We look good, but our insides are dirty. Our insides are broken. Our insides are hurting. And we can't share that. And, and I came to realize that, that for me, a big, a big part of, of why I can't show that is that in the midst of pain and trials and confusion, I throw my own answers at the problem. I think, what can I do People can't help me, I know that, but Jesus can. And so he's established a community of believers to help you realize that. 
And so, yes, the answer is not going to be found in people. But hopefully, hopefully there's somebody here in this church that can point you back to Jesus. Because faith in him is what attacks the root of our problems. Isaiah 49. Isaiah is a great book. If you haven't, if you haven't gone through it, I really recommend going through it. It's all about prophecies of Jesus. It's so gnarly. But chapter 49, verse 2 says this. And he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has hidden me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver, he has hidden me. And I, and I read that verse. And I think about every time that I've had a problem, that I've seen an enemy in my life, and I just start shooting arrows at it. I try to take the, the problem down on my own. And then we look at Isaiah and, and Jesus says, my father has made me as an arrow in his quiver and he's hidden me there. And I go, I'm so sorry, Lord. Not only are you the arrow that's going to fix my problem, but the father's the one who's going to shoot it when it's ready. And so sometimes there may be problems that we endure. Sometimes there's going to be crummy circumstances that Jesus wants to use to grow us. And so instead of throwing solutions at the problem of what you can do, ask Christ, why have you put me here? That changes the way that I look at trials. Instead of saying, Lord, how do I fix this? I say, Lord, how do you want to use me here? Lord, why am I struggling here? How are you going to be glorified in this? And so that's why my desire for tonight wasn't to compel you to serve it's to compel us to reset our foundation upon a faith in Jesus Christ. And it's so fundamental. It's so fundamental. But honestly, that's why my heart leans towards that. Is because if we can't get the core of the gospel right, it doesn't matter what the rest of our lives look like. If we don't have the truth of Jesus at the root of our hearts, the saving works of Jesus through faith at the core of our beliefs, if we can, if we can establish that in our lives, we'll, we'll begin to see transformations. We'll begin to see healings in the body. And we'll begin to see an active church that serves and equips the saints for ministry. And so that's why Paul doesn't tell the Galatians, hey, circumcision isn't going to serve you, uh, but we really need children's ministry volunteers. So if you guys could step up there, that'd be great. No, he doesn't say that. He says, reestablish yourselves in faith because an active and living God and a faith in him is going to produce an active and living life of faith. Is that, is that making sense for us? And so that's our, that should be our desire for tonight. Is to, is to rebuild our lives upon foundational truths of faith. And so we're going we're gonna to worship. The band can come back up. And I really want us to spend this time in worship, drawing ourselves deeper with the Lord, myself included. I want, I want us to have a deeper, truly intimate relationship with the Lord finding ourselves to be in a place of, of believing, believing that you truly have a faith in Jesus and that you truly, genuinely do love him in response to the love that he's shown you.
And like I said before, we have a living and active God. And so if we're to really devote ourselves to him, from that should be a living and active faith working through love. It's not compelled by obligation. It's not compelled by your reputation. It's compelled as a response, a thankful response to the saving work of Jesus in your life. And so faith working together through love, you'll start to see fruit growing in your life. You'll start to see major changes in your life. And it may not be the changes that you thought would happen, but they're the changes that God wants to see happen. And I want to close with this thought. And this has really helped me lately. See, where you are, wherever you are in your circumstances in life right now, your life may be great, and your life just, let's be honest, it may just suck. Maybe, maybe your job's really tough. Maybe you don't have a job. Maybe school is really bringing you down. Maybe you just can't get along with your spouse. Your circumstances may look one way, but that has no effect on where you stand with Christ right now. Your circumstances may look bad, but at the end of the day, we have the ability as believers to come to a holy, perfect, and loving God. And that our standing with him isn't how well we did that day. Isn't how many things we were able to check off our to-do list. It wasn't how many people we serve that gets Jesus to love us. It's just that he loves you guys. It's just that he loves you. And so we have communion here tonight as we do every Sunday night. And so as we partake in communion, remember that, that this isn't going to save you. If, you. if you eat the cracker and you drink the grape juice, it doesn't make a difference in Jesus' eyes. It's the heart behind that. It's a remembrance of the faith and love that Jesus first showed us on the cross. Remember that, guys. Before, before your faith in Jesus and before your love for him, he was faithful to you and he loved you. Loved you enough to leave the perfection of heaven, to leave everything that was good, to leave eternal unity with the Father, to experience the same crumminess that you guys experience. Right? Because we don't have a high priest who sits high up on his throne that doesn't know what we're going through. He's experienced every temptation. He knows what you're going through. And he experienced all that so that he could die the death that we should have died so that we can live the life that he wants us to live. Amen? And so we take the bread first and the cup second because the body had to be broken before the blood was shed. And so as we worship, really spend really spend one-on-one time with the Lord asking yourself, is my faith truly in Jesus? Is my love genuine? Or am I only going to him for what I want? Am I living a life with him? Or is he my emergency help card when things just get too out of hand for me to deal with it on my own? I want our foundations to be in our faith with Jesus. 
that, that a, a living and active and serving church doesn't come through, through pastors compelling you to serve in children, to serve in youth, to serve in the cafe. That's not going to get it done. It's going to be Jesus working in you, changing your desires. If you experience his goodness, you'll want to serve your church. You'll want to worship your God in a new way that you haven't done before. And so let that be on our hearts and our minds tonight. Father, what a blessing it is to just be able to say those words. Father, that we can call upon your name and that you you delight in us coming to you. Lord, we thank you that you came to this earth for us We thank you that you stepped down first. We thank you that that you sacrificed it all for sinners like us. Lord, that we would remember the cross and the wrath you endured. Not so that we can feel obligated to pay you back. You paid the price and that was it. It's not an obligation. It's it's a response of thankfulness that you endured the wrath of the Father so that we could enjoy eternal pleasures and joy with you. Lord, we thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you've established us under the new covenant of faith in your son. And that and that alone is the saving point. There's nothing that we can do that can cause you to stop loving us. Like we could run a million miles away from you. And if we come back, you're faithful to accept us. Lord, whatever burdens we bear as a church and individually, I pray we would be able to leave those at the foot of the cross. Lord, that we would be able to mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep. That we would be able to come alongside one another to pray with and fulfill with words of, of goodness from your scripture. So Lord, I pray that you would do a, do a mighty work in our hearts. And whatever was said of me would be forgotten, Lord. But that your eternal truths would reign eternal in our hearts. Lord, that the truths we learn from you aren't preparing us to just live the rest of our lives here on earth. They're preparing us for an eternity in heaven worshiping you. And that we would constantly be reminded of that blessing. So Lord, be glorified in our lives. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's worship, guys.